Um, things are going to be pretty good, but but overall, it's quite grim, I think, across the board. Okay, so it sounds like it's going to be bad. Thanks very much, Ben. Do please stay safe up there. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Once again, an extraordinarily volatile day in the markets. First of all, U.S. stock index futures are locked limit down. That's down 5%. They can't trade uh, below that until the U.S. markets open. So that's about 1,200 points off the Dow. And that's despite a 100 basis point rate cut from the Fed. As a result, over in Australia, the ASX 200 is off about 5%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down 1%. The Cosby in South Korea off 1.6%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open 600 points lower at the open in an hour's time. That's 2.6%. All sorts of movement going on in the commodities markets. Brent crude oil is off about 2.6% at the moment, trading at $33.73 a barrel. Uh, but gold is surging. It's up about 1.5% in Asian trading at $1,552 an ounce. Lots of movement in the currency markets. A really big sell-off going on in the dollar at the moment. Against the Japanese yen, it's trading at 106.7. Against the British pound, it's at $1.23.6. And against the euro, uh, the euro is at $1.11.5. That's it for Money Talk this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. The weather forecast is going to be mainly cloudy, dry with sunny periods, and the maximum temperature of about 23 degrees. A few showers in the next couple of days. It's 19 degrees right now, 76% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has lowered its base rate 2.86% after the U.S. Federal Reserve took action to support the economy amid the escalating coronavirus pandemic. The Fed cut rates by a whole percentage point to virtually zero, its second emergency cut in a fortnight, and announced plans to buy billions of dollars of Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. President Trump announced the news at a press conference. I want to congratulate the Federal Reserve. For starters, they've lowered the Fed rate from what it was, which was 1 to 1.25, and it's been lowered down to 0 to 0.25, 4.25. So it's, that's a big difference. It's a, quite a bit. The U.S. Central Bank said the disease posed risks to the economic outlook, and it expected this rate to be maintained until the bank was confident the economy had weathered events. The European Union has told its member states that the best way to fight coronavirus is to have a rapidly coordinated response and pool resources. The appeal came from the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, as she announced a series of measures to protect EU member states' health services. We need to keep in the EU the protective equipment that we need. This is why we adopted today an export authorization scheme for protective equipment. This means that such medical goods can only be exported to non-EU countries with the explicit authorization of the EU governments. She said the bloc as a whole would boost production of protective equipment such as ventilators, test kits or masks.
Germany is to partially close its borders in an attempt to slow the advance of the epidemic. The decision was taken at a meeting between Chancellor Angela Merkel and leaders of border regions. Reports say commuters and goods will be allowed to cross when the restrictions come into effect on Monday morning. Germany has so far been reluctant to override the Schengen border agreement, which allows the free movement of people in the EU. But the Interior Minister, Horst Seehofer, emphasised the gravity of the situation. Die Ausbreitung des Coronavirus schreitet schnell und aggressiv voran. Both in Germany and in our neighboring European countries, coronavirus is progressing rapidly and aggressively. Many new cases of illness are reported every day, and we have to assume that the culmination of the development has not yet been reached. And we have to and will react to it, and this has already happened. One of the most important measures to protect our population is to break the infection chain. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverson, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. In the second part of the programme today, after nine o'clock, we're going to be joined by a doctor and a top epidemiologist. So if you have specific medical or public health questions, think of them now, line them up, drop us a line and uh, we'll get to those and we'll get some answers for you after nine o'clock. Before that, in the first part of the programme today, we're going to be talking to a couple of businesses in Hong Kong who possibly stand to benefit from the current situation. We'll be hearing how they're faring. If you've got any comments uh, or questions as ever, you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your questions. Please, no abuse. Backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call, and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's the preferred option, because then you can share with everybody. Uh, and you can get a proper answer. You're welcome to talk to any of our guests, 233-88266. We always warn them that's a, a possibility. Uh, of course, you can comment as well on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, uh, as ever. And uh, everyone can uh, see it there. Okay, so we've got uh, emails on uh, on a variety of topics before before we get to our guests. Um, so I can arrange them in some kind of order. Um, okay, on RTHK, John says, um, "Hi, I have commented about poor media reporting, including RTHK. Finally, uh, in the RTHK report, and there's a link." Uh, and the story is about uh, a Beijing official has suggested that the U.S. Army may have brought the deadly coronavirus into China without providing evidence for the claim. John says, uh, you state without providing evidence for the claim. Thanks. I hope RTHK can raise the standard of journalism in Hong Kong. That's from uh, John. Uh, Herman says, why is there so much news time wasted on RTHK's headliner when there is so much more important news taking place? Honestly, the anti-RTHK protesters and the listeners who complain about your bias against the police have a point. You suffer from police derangement syndrome. You almost always have some negative comment on anything the police do and refuse to acknowledge, much less praise the police when they do something right. And to make things worse, now RTHK is battling its advisers over what it claims are censorship. You are eroding your credibility, wasting tax money, and you don't realise what arrogant, spoiled brats you look like because you are so far out of touch with reality. Director of Broadcasting, Lung Car Wing, should be fired for letting this situation get out of hand. That comes from Herman. Uh, and uh, Bowen uh, on a similar topic. 
says, Director of Broadcasting, Lone Carl Wing, is obviously right in saying that different government departments have different functions to perform in serving the public. And RTHK should be respected by other government departments for its line of work. It should be obvious to all that as a pillar of the fourth estate, RTHK is professionally bound to take into account perspectives different from those of the executive branch. These different perspectives may be those of minority groups of society or indeed those of a clear majority of society, as has been the case for the extradition bill saga and the protest movement. This conflict has heightened considerably since the handover because the practice in the mainland is to treat the media as a propagandist instrument. But unlike many of its counterparts in the established democracy, RTHK is particularly vulnerable and it's being a department within the executive branch, so if it needs to be more closely monitored, it is in respect of this structural weakness and its susceptibility to being pressured to pass over reasonable queries about the government's ruling and practices, or to stay silent when it should speak up for the public interest. Chairman of the RTHK Board of Advisors Eugene Chan's comments, goading the Director of Broadcasting to, quote, vigorously uh, handle the police's complaints about Headliner, RTHK's satirical programme of over 30 years standing, and to report to the board on the matter are therefore a matter of concern. What's even more ominous is Chan's message that the Director of Broadcasting should meet with the advisers regularly to seek comments on RTHK's editorial principles, standards and quality. This is alarming indeed, having regard to the standards and quality, not to mention the extreme ideological biases, of articles written by Chan himself, a dozen of which have been translated into English and can be read in EJ Insight's website. They are all recommended reading, but the one titled What Opposition is Truly After by Demanding Independence Independent Inquiry of August 23rd, 2019, contains especially startling implications, while the one titled Washington's New Laws Could Ultimately End Up Hurting Hong Kong of December the 3rd, 2019, is full of egregious assumptions. Those thoughts from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Um, Eve says, uh, isn't it amazing that despite Hong Kong being close to the epicentre, the infection rates are low, so why does Europe look like a monster when there is no way they eat anything close to the Wuhan diet? <laughs> WHO says face masks don't help, but wash your hands and personal hygiene. Is European personal hygiene a do as I say, not as I do? Or is Hong Kong better off due to their much ridiculed social etiquette of wearing face masks in public? Question mark. Stay safe. That comes uh, from uh, Eve. Okay. Uh, on the question of uh, face masks, Mike, you <laughs> guess what's coming? Uh, <laughs> praise, uh, praise for my independent stance. This is from uh, Jim, a Jim, who says, May I suggest that uh, Mike Rouse self quarantine when the subject content is on Backchat is COVID-19. I do not question that Mike, a la Trump, possesses an intuitive understanding of infections or that he is endowed with the Churchillian bulldog spirit that shields him from the pesky virus. What I do question are his overbearing, bigoted interventions on face masks that dampen rather than enhance in discussion. Incidentally, if Mike does travel without a mask regularly on public transport, as he claims, then he must be remarkably thick-skinned to endure disapproving glares from his fellow travellers. Uh, those thoughts from Jim. Mike, do you want to write a response? Well, it's interesting because you you read the, from the previous quote the, the WHO advice that face masks face masks don't help um, the the wearer to protect himself. They do work in the sense of it, they inhibit the spread of the virus if you've got it to other people. And now, if I have any of the symptoms, 
I, I know you were going to throw that bit about asymptomatic back at me in a minute, but if I had any of the symptoms, I would simply stay home. I wouldn't go out. If I had to go out, then I would wear a mask. I wouldn't be going to the office, I'd be going to see the doctor. Um, but being asymptomatic or non-virus, whichever way you want to look at it, I'm not spreading uh, the virus to other people. And therefore, I think I am thick-skinned, so... What was the other bit? <laughs> I'm not being bombastic about it. I don't claim uh, to be an epidemiologist like like Trump, who is a a class A idiot um, and has got everything wrong on the subject so far. I just I just say that it the med the best medical advice is that the masks don't really help. Okay, I know that we've been going back and forth over this for for weeks and weeks, but to just put it like this. If no one wore a mask, if everyone followed your advice and no one wore a mask, we'd yes. be worse off, wouldn't we? I mean, put it like that. I'm not sure. I think you see what the UK has now done. The NHS notice is um, if you've got these symptoms, don't don't call us. Don't go to the hospital. Just ring this hotline and stay home. Um, I think the pass has been sold. I think we will reach the 70%. Um, Penetration rate. I don't think Hong Kong's as lightly uh, suffering as we think from the numbers. I think a very large number of people have probably got the virus and have developed antibodies, but the symptoms were so mild. Okay, well, uh, food for food for thought there. Uh, just a couple of uh, just an email from Drake. Uh, who's just emails us saying, just writing to show my support for what Herman would call spoiled brat, uh, RTHK. That comes uh, from uh, Drake. Uh, S says, I wonder if Facebook is taking any action as a lot of people have started marketing face masks and some of them do appear dodgy. That comes uh, from S, which kind of leads us into our, into our, our topic for the first part of the programme today, uh, businesses and the, uh, and the virus. But uh, people are not supplying dodgy. I'm not suggesting by any means that uh, any sort of a dodgy services are being offered, but uh, services that may meet people's needs at the moment. We're joined on the line now by Paul Misa. He's commercial director of uh, Food Panda uh, in Hong Kong and Tracy Ho, of, who's uh, CEO, CEO of uh, HMV OD on uh, demand. Uh, Mr. Misa, first of all, good morning to you. Hello. Good morning. Hi, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Um, so, um, uh, if people don't know, tell, tell us what Food Panda does and, and how's business at the moment? is an online delivery uh, e-commerce and logistics platform. What we do is we work with uh, all sorts of different restaurants in Hong Kong to provide an online offering and help people get their food from their favorite restaurants delivered to their doorstep or to their offices. I, I see your motorbikes around all the time or people claiming to be food panda. Um, so this is so that the restaurant can keep cooking and selling the food but people are not going to the restaurant, so you, you you bring it to their home. Yes, I mean, I think back when I was growing up in Hong Kong, you know, there weren't a lot of delivery uh, companies for me to choose from. I was basically choosing between Pizza Hut and then McDonald's started doing deliveries, and, and the options for me were very limited. But nowadays with uh, online platforms like Food Panda, people can be choosing from thousands of restaurants. We have over 7,000 restaurants on our platform for people to choose from. Do you, and uh, businesses definitely 
uh, we've been growing very rapidly um, for the last three years. I think we entered Hong Kong in 2014. Right. Now, who pays you? So we're actually a listed company. Uh, we're actually listed in Germany, in Frankfurt. Right. And we, our company uh, listed entity is called Delivery Hero, and we're in 43 different countries worldwide. Right, but who who pays Food Panda for the delivery service? The guy eating the oh, food, right. or the or the guy cooking it? Yeah, so we we actually charge on both sides. So we have uh, the restaurants; they pay us a commission for the revenue that we generate for them, and then the customers also pay a delivery fee. All right. So the restaurant then is still cooking and selling food, but uh, this is eating into their into their margins, isn't it? I mean, definitely, this, I mean, if for any restaurants to do deliveries, deliveries is a cost, and it is an expensive thing, especially in Hong Kong, because we just don't have the supply of motorcycles uh, here that we do in other countries. Um, but what it does also save costs for in terms of restaurants is you don't have the, uh, the dining, the, the cutleries, the washing, the service. All of those overhead expenses are kind of, this is all incremental revenue that we're bringing into businesses. Right. Um, what about people, um, people now eating more at home, cooking themselves? Yeah, and that's, and that's really fantastic. I mean, I, I, I think, unfortunately in Hong Kong, you know, apartments are so small that a lot of people don't really have good kitchens for them to, uh, for them to cook in. And so even though they are trying to do so a lot more, but, uh, fundamentally they don't really have the facilities to really allow them to level up and do uh, and be really experimental in terms of what they're trying out. And so I think a lot of people, even though they are cooking a lot more at home, I think they're also wanting to want to support their favorite restaurants and they want to eat something a little bit different. And so that's where platforms like us come into play. As you say, there are other platforms, should make that clear. Um, there are other services available. Have you got any feeling, though, uh, Mr. Mieser, of, of the sort of how much business you're doing? I mean, how much it's gone up or just like in percentage terms since this started? Have you got any figures feel for that? Demand has gone up. Uh, it's doubled, actually, since the beginning of it's February. doubled, okay. Mm. So the demand for our services has gone up. And uh, on we, we've also launched a new service recently. It's called Panda Mart. And what we're doing there is actually offering grocery and concierge services for our customers. So say if they want to be ordering a filet to be cooking for at home or some vegetables to supplement what they're, what they're cooking at home. We now offer that service as well on our platform. And growth for that has been uh, hundreds of percent every week. I think uh, just on uh, business has gone up 600% since the beginning of February on the Pandemart site. Mm. This, is, this is quite a big kind of cultural change for Hong Kong, isn't it, apart from anything else? Because we're, we're not like many other places where they are used to uh, takeaway food or, you know, food delivery. Um, food has always been kind of a big social thing, hasn't it? People, you know, eat a lot in restaurants, as you say, the kitchens aren't very big and, uh, and so on. It's a real kind of uh, turnaround for just the way we live in Hong Kong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think people in Hong Kong love going out to eat. And I remember when I first started working at Food Panda, everyone was telling me, oh, this, this is a business that's not really going to work here. It's just too convenient. But the truth of the matter is, in Hong Kong, with it's such a things move at this city in such a breakneck pace that everybody's always looking for something a little bit more 
convenience and looking for something a little bit special. And now the fact that you can be able to order from all of your favorite restaurants and eating from the comfort of your house or from your desk, where you can now be enjoying Netflix and enjoying your other entertainment. I think a lot of people are, are, are kind of seeing a differentiation between going out and seeking those experiences of seeing your friends and, and eating together and then sort of uh, kind of eating as a sort of sustenance and continuing and, a, and an enjoyment at home. I think we're seeing a clear differentiation there. Do you think this will be a permanent shift or when we're back then and free to go out more, do you think people will swing to more to restaurants again? I think definitely people will be wanting to go back out. I know a lot of people are already feeling very fed up of being stuck in their houses and apartments for such a prolonged period of time. Um, but I do think that uh, what's going to be losing out is that sort of middle ground, that sort of casual dining, uh, sort of one, two people uh, going out to eat their lunches quickly and, and go back to the office. I think that um, fundamentally people are realizing that there are better alternatives there. And with the better alternatives, um, why, why make the effort and go down when you don't know whether or not you're going to get a seat? Uh, there's a lot of risk elements of that. And as I said, in Hong Kong, time is such a limiting factor. Most companies only give you one hour to eat for lunch. Right. Do you actually employ the delivery people or are they independent agents? Uh, we, we do both. So we have a, a sort of core part of our team that are full-time staff. They get MPF, they get uh, paid leave, they get all of the full-time benefits of, of employees. And then we have around 75% of our uh, logistics fleet will be freelancers. Okay. Uh, also with us, as I mentioned, is uh, Tracy Ho, uh, CEO of HMV uh, On Demand. Uh, good morning to you, Ms. Ho. Good morning. Thank you for mentioning, indeed, for, for joining us. Tell, tell us, first of all, about your, about your service, HMV uh, On Demand. I, I, it's the first time I've heard of it, I've, <laughs> I've got to say. Well, what, what do you do, and, and uh, how's your business doing at the moment? Yeah. Uh, HMV Beauty is an online entertainment service in Hong Kong. We offered uh, more than 10,000 hours of programs on our platform for, for BOD and we charge the, uh, the customer on a subscription model. So it's a monthly charge irrespective of usage? Yeah, it's a monthly charge uh, so that the customer can watch all the content and with some extra credits that we offer to the customer to watch new mo release movie like uh, uh, the recent re release movie like Frozen 2 Chumanji, uh, Star Wars, this kind of, of content. What's the what's the difference? Are you just like Netflix? Yeah, we are. We are uh, uh, quite similar to uh, Netflix. Just Netflix will be more focused on um, US and the original drama series. For us, we will be more focused on the uh, movie side. And are you are, do you operate in Hong Kong and only Hong Kong, or where else do you do you get, can you get HMV on demand? Uh, we now serve, we are now serving both Hong Kong and Macau region. So just Hong Kong and Macau. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and house business. Uh, have you noticed um, that um, you know people staying at home have have uh, brought you money, brought you uh, subscribers? Yeah, we found that uh, actually after the, the news of coronavirus broke out on the day before the Lunar New Year, actually everyone had no choice to stay at home and 
the most obvious and adverse impact was the movie ticket selling at cinema dropped a lot during that period.、Mm. You can imagine that the increase of confirmed cases will just make the situation even worse. And then for our platform, we just record increase、uh, subscription and usage on our VOD service during that the Lunar New Year comparing to the previous year.、Um, we realize that there will be、uh, a sudden increase in demand for our home entertainment like us in the following months, and we just need to do something quickly in response to this situation and grab this grab this moment. Do you have any plans for international expansion, or is that market too competitive?、Um, for for the moment, we will focus on Hong Kong and Macau first.、Uh, of course, we have our planning to other Southeast Asia when our model、uh, has been doing、uh, successful in Hong Kong and Macau, and then we will just copy our、uh, business model to other regions very easily. All right.、Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for for、uh, joining us,、uh, Tracy Ho, there, CEO of uh, HMV uh, On Demand, and、uh, Paul Misa, Commercial Director of、uh, Food Panda. Thank you very much indeed. Telling us a little bit about、uh, businesses that are that are、uh, doing well at this time of year.、Uh, this, I mean, in the, in the current situation、uh, at the moment. Thanks very much indeed.、Uh, once again, our email address is backchat@rthk.hk. You can call us on two three three eight eight two six six if you've got any comments. Later, we're going to have a, a doctor and an epidemiologist.、Uh, Joining us,、um, we've got、uh, quite a lot of emails、um, on different topics.、Uh, first,、uh, some about inevitably about masks. <laughs> first of all, first of all,、uh, this is from、uh, Mike, Mike the dentist, who says, "Mike Rouse, why is Trump an idiot? Without specific points, please hold your tongue." Why is Trump? Oh, really? Re- where do I begin?、Um, he said that. The virus was a Democrat hoax.、Um, when he was trying to downplay it,、uh, he said that anyone could get tested. When in fact, hardly anyone could be tested, because、uh, America didn't have the test kits. There's, there's two examples. I mean, th- this could take up a whole show. Is that enough? Okay,、uh, okay,、uh, Mike, is that enough?、Uh, right,、uh, an email from the other Richard who says on Food Panda. Hi, the Food Panda idea is one that builds on the three C's: comfort, convenience, and consumption. All very gig economy, but and it's a huge but. This approach generates a massive amount of avoidable waste at a time when the world needs to desperately reduce waste. Perhaps Food Panda, instead of promoting its business model simply to grow, should insist that all of its restaurants use fully recyclable packaging and refuse to deliver any polystyrene packaging.、Uh, even then, it is promoting single-use waste, and it's something that should not be happening. That comes from someone who signs himself the other Richard. Thank you very much indeed for for、uh, that observation. And we've got a caller on the line. Is it Mike? It, I thought it must be. Okay, yeah, the right, battle of the mics. All right, there you go. Drop the but, mic. Take it yeah, away. Yeah, but okay, but Mike Rouse, really? I mean, do you, what, what, when you go in public and you don't have a mask on, what do you do when you cough? I don't cough. Yeah, right. What happens if your nose itches? If <laughs> well, I've there is actually advice, formal advice from health authorities on what to do if you cough suddenly in public. It is to bury your face in your in the sleeve. 
Uh, yeah, what do you do when your nose itches? There's an automatic response for you to scratch your nose. Well, if you've got your mask on, what happens is it reminds you, oh, I can't scratch my nose. Well, I don't well, scratch my nose. I don't I need don't, reminding. I, you know, you're British. I don't believe it. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I don't believe it. I'm thinking you got your, you the best, what was it, the best way to break a British guy's finger is to punch him in the nose? I, well, when I get back to the office, what I do in the privacy of when there's nobody looking is a, is a dozen batter. But when I'm on the, on the MTR, I definitely do not pick my are nose. You, are you saying that British are famous for picking their noses? No, I just... Is that know, true? I've never just, heard just, that. Just, I mean. just, to, just lighten up just a little bit. But I, <laughs> a serious point, I think Trump has done a tremendous job. Um, he uh, thinks so, too. He's well, always... Why don't, why don't you? Why don't I? Because he lost a month on uh, on testing, which would have reduced the impact in the USA. Listen, but he was so concerned CDC, to stress no, no, that it wasn't a problem. Listen, listen, listen. Get, get, in, get informed. Yes, he scrapped the, the unit in the White House, which was specifically CDC, there for uh, outbreaks. The CDC, the CDC is not prepared to do the testing. But what he did was he got private companies to to make the the testing kits. The CDC wasn't wasn't prepared. He scrapped prepared. The, he scrapped the unit in the White House that was specifically set up to handle outbreaks, pandemics. Why did he scrap it? What are you What are you talking about? Three years ago, about? as soon as he got into the White House, one of the first things he did was ca ca close the unit which had been established by his predecessors precisely for this kind of eventuality. OK, well, well, well fortunately, Mike, we're out of time. So. Oh, you do. You cut me off. All I'm, right. I'm sorry. I got, an it's, I got an answer for that. I know. Go I know. I'm Another sure you day. do. Fell by Talk the bell. I'm sorry, because we've got, we got a break now for the news at 9 o'clock, and we're going to have uh, other guests, as I say, a doctor epidemiologist joining us after the news at 9. Uh, line up your medical questions. The weather, mainly cloudy, uh, dry, with sunny periods during the day, temperatures up to 23 degrees, 19 degrees at the moment. The relative humidity is at 77%. Listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Bank Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're joined in the second part of the programme now, between now and uh, half past nine, by Dr Eric Ding. Uh, once again, he's an epidemiologist, health economist and nutrition scientist at the Harvard Chan School of uh, Public Health. And Dr Sarah Borwine, who's a, a Canadian physician based in Hong Kong, trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Uh, so we're talking uh, medical issues, public health issues in this part of the programme. If you've got any questions, please give us a call, 233-88266, or drop us an email, bankchat.rthk.hk. Just uh, one quick non-medical uh, issue from Maxine, who says, I'm so dismayed and upset that the Democratic Party, on which should be for inclusion and diversity, have urged Richard Choi to quit the party's central committee over his stance against some restaurants, which said they won't serve people speaking Putonhua. You should ask them why they are so intolerant, because they remind me uh, of both George W. 
Bush's de uh, declaration that you're either with us, either for us or against us, and the great historical example of inclusive and open thinking Joseph Goebbels. That's from Maxine. Thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, uh, a lot of emails uh, whenever Mike comes on on the issue of uh, face masks. Uh, Umash says, uh, morning guys, you wouldn't last a day here in Shanghai. Face masks are compulsory here. You will get arrested if not wearing one in a public place. Every mall, supermarket also won't let you in. Some places have drones flying around with loudspeakers booming with reminders on wearing face masks. Even with the city gradually opening up, it's still compulsory to wear them. That's uh, Umesh reporting from uh, Shanghai. Steve, on the other hand, says masks are not necessary. This is an email. Who's, he says, I would like to buy a T-shirt that says I stand with Mike. It is beyond me why everyone is for wearing masks and not paying attention to the fact that masks should only be worn by those who feel unwell, unless it is for this politically trapped generation that says no sick person should be discriminated against. When one suffers, we all suffer. That comes from Steve. Dr Ding, good day to you. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us once again. Sure. Um, Talk us through the mask, <laughs> the mask argument. Uh, I, I was looking at your your Twitter feed, uh, which is always very interesting, and it, it's got you know the, a, quite a dramatic graph showing how containment in Hong Kong and and Singapore has been so much more successful, it seems, than than in many places, especially Europe uh, at the moment. Uh, a lot of people would put that down to masks. Um, how would you explain it? I think masks are certainly part of the equation, but uh, people have to realize. Surgical masks, especially, are useless in terms of preventing you from breathing in the virus. What they're good for is to prevent a person from uh, who is infected coughing out and sneezing out and just spitting out the virus from general, you know, conversations while talking. So it protects others from you if you have it because it catches all the big droplets and sneezes and coughs. Um, and so in certain ways, if everyone wears it and a lot of people potentially could have the virus, it, it isolates their exposure from others. But it is not sufficient uh, as an end-all and be-all, of course. What differentiates Hong Kong and Singapore was that they were very aggressive with uh, shutdowns um, and also they were very aggressive with contact tracing and testing because by testing immediately and then doing investigative shoe leather work to find everyone that they were exposed to over the last week or two and then quarantining them that kind of aggressiveness is what actually can stop a virus when it's still at its infancy and, and that's what hong kong and singapore did with very aggressive tactics and very aggressive high-tech um uh certain surveillance uh techniques and so i think it's a combination of all these things meanwhile Italy um, and many European countries were very lax and lackadaisical with a lot of their containment measures. And of course, in the U.S., we had such an utter, utter botched um, testing that we allowed basically no testing to happen for three weeks hmm. and then very slow on other containment. Doctor, so I think there's a lot of things different. Dr. Ding, I must ask you about the situation in the U.K. now. There's been this new uh, notice from the National Health Service saying basically um, we're not going to test. Mm. Yeah, that they wouldn't test unless you have a very severe symptom, I believe, right? Right. Um, and and that, is, that is very, very unfortunate because testing is really a hallmark. Without testing, 
nation should we be isolating this person from the rest um it's it's almost uh being half blind and sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich whenever there's an oncoming uh you know bear that's running at you and i think this is this is one of those key things part of containment is you have to test and contact trace and quarantine isolate instead of um just it's just waiting for the uh the case to be severe enough that you, it eventually right. bubbles up to the top like an iceberg but by the, by then you have a huge huge iceberg beneath you that's upwelling right. and mortality surges whenever you're over I, uh, ICU and hospital capacity and that is basically what they're asking for right the uk seems to be saying if we can get 70% of the population with the virus we'll have herd protection oh yes that is just that is lunacy because herd immunity is only a strategy when you have a vaccine a vaccine will immunize a large population and once you're over 60 70% the herd immunity effects start going up and for those who don't know herd immunity is if you're in a crowded room and you're infected you're on the other side of the room from me if most of the people in the middle of the room are have immunity then it's unlikely for the virus to hop skip and jump over to me right. but if most of the people in the middle are susceptible then it's most likely to jump to me but again that's only if you have a vaccine strategy without right. a vaccine which we're well over years uh, one year away from you're basically asking for let's act let's get 70% of uh, the population infected oh along the way there's 1 to 3 percent mortality if not even higher such as in lombardy where there's percent right. mortality that is not a strategy that is asking for the apocalypse i notice people seem to be using quarantine and isolation interchangeably um and yeah. you see it in the media a lot but these are very different aren't they yes yeah so quarantine is is a very it, it's, a, it's a it's a medical public health term in which we we order you and confine you um and isolation is more of sometimes like a voluntary or like a self-directed um requested action uh, i shall uh, self-isolate myself because uh, i may have been in contact with someone uh briefly and well quarantine is more of a mandatory thing for not only the person who was you know directly infected um uh, but directly from public health officials but sometimes they are interchangeable but one is voluntary and there are many cases in which people have broken quarantine and that is a very serious problem Okay, reminder one again if 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 you want to uh, if you have a medical or public health question please give us a call 2338-8266 you can talk directly to the experts. Uh this is from Anna who says please ask the doctor what anyone should do who has symptoms. Call their doctor, go to A&E at the locust, uh, nearest public hospital. Would you be seen and tested at a private hospital? It's not clear what to do in Hong Kong. Dr. Borwine is with us as a Canadian physician based based in Hong Kong. What's wh what do you do in Hong Kong? What's your advice Dr. Borwine? Hello? Yeah, Dr. Bullwine. Hello, Dr. Bullwine? No. No, okay. Hello, Dr. Bullwine? Good morning. Hello, good morning. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so we had an email there you know, asking for basically, uh, what do you do if you have some symptoms in Hong Kong? What, what's the next step? What are you supposed to do? Yeah, uh, well, 
what we do, I think different clinics have different policies. You can always go to a, an outpatient, to an A&E, and they will definitely test you. We also have a, a, a system set up within our own clinic where we'll do a telephone consult and we can arrange to send you testing um, a test kit. So the, the Department of Health has taken quite a proactive approach to testing mildly symptomatic people by a self-collected deep throat saliva sample. So you collect the sample yourself early in the morning, you uh, drop it off at any of the Department of Health clinics, and the Department, the government virology lab will test it for, uh, for the coronavirus. How long before you get the results? Uh, a day or two. And you're asked to self-isolate in the meantime. So we try to do, we, and our practice is to try and do a telephone consult. We, of course, want to make sure that you really are only mildly ill and can wait. Because, of course, people who have severe symptoms shouldn't be sitting at home. They should go to, they should go to a hospital immediately. But for people who are mildly ill and are just wondering, what is this? And could it be coronavirus? They can do this. And in fact, the sample can be tested not just for coronavirus, but also for the common other respiratory viral pathogens. Okay. Nicola says, can you ask the doctor about how long the virus survives on surfaces in different climates? Uh, that comes from, from Nicola. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Ding, or have yeah. anyone um, want to answer that? Well, uh, either of us. Uh, well, it's based on our research. Um, there's some studies about older coronaviruses lasting up to a week, but the latest research on this coronavirus says that um, on, on plastics and cardboard, it can survive up to three days, um, but it, it, there's variability. It depends on temperature and humidity. The higher the temperature and humidity, the shorter it lasts. So it, three days is when this near, funny window in which, you know, it could uh, be kind of tricky if it's not disinfected um, properly. So, but I think we should just be cautious of anything that we touch. Um, sanitize anything you touch. Don't touch door handles, especially in this day and age. Mm, okay. Uh, all right, this is from uh, B, who says, I suffer from claustrophobia and allergies to the pollution in the air. I need to take uh, loratadine, I hope that's right, loratadine, every morning, and recently I noticed that I need another, say, around 6 p.m. as well. I detest wearing a mask because I am frustrated when my nose and mouth are masked. My fear is that I might black out when I am out. Please help. That comes from, from B. Dr. Borwine, any advice there? <laughs> Does, I hope this person has a physician. If not, calls any doctor and arranges an appointment. Sounds like you need to be seen for other reasons. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Um, on the masks, Paul H says, I know this isn't a popular position, but I'm with Mike on this. I personally find masks quite a scary sight, similar to the face coverings we see in Middle Eastern Islamic countries. As far as I'm concerned, people are wearing masks are paranoid and overreacting to the situation. That comes uh, from uh, Paul H. Uh, I've got to say, we've got quite a few uh, emails. We've got, we've got so many emails. But uh, uh, a common kind of theme also is uh, this, like this one from a long 
Alfonso, who says, what a difference a few weeks makes. A month ago, a number of my expat colleagues sent their families back to their homes in Europe to escape virus-threatened Hong Kong. I even heard some xenophobic individuals saying they were trying to avoid contact with mainland colleagues for fear of catching COVID-19. Now the shoe is on the other fit. Expat families are rushing back to Hong Kong from virus-ravaged countries like France and UK, while locals will keep their distance from them. Uh, on their return back to Hong Kong, let's hope they strictly adhere to the compulsory home quarantines and adopt a more vigilant mask-wearing policy than some expats have displayed. Are you listening, Mike Rouse? Uh, uh, Derek says, got a message from my sister about her situation in Canada. Uh, Now has twice as many cases as Hong Kong. She was worried about the long lines at supermarkets, public events being cancelled. I was thinking two weeks, try two months and counting. That comes uh, from uh, Derek. Uh, and uh, John Kowloon says, while I've generally been complimentary about the government's handling of the virus, they clearly erred in not including the US and UK in its quarantine list until now. By delaying the implementation date until Thursday, the government has almost guaranteed we will see a spike in imported cases in the next few weeks. That's because the, there won't be a compulsory home quarantine for people arriving from um, the UK uh, until Thursday uh, this week. Um, Okay, some some comments there. I mean, uh, Dr. Ding, uh, uh, is that basically what's happening now? Is that um, it's kind of peaked in this part of the world, and and now it's and now Europe and the United States are experiencing the same kind of thing? Yes, um, certainly. I can see the irony in the shoe being on the other foot that Europe and the, the West uh, is definitely suffering the brunt of the new epidemic. But at the same time. You know, Asia is not out of the woods yet. You know, China, first of all, you know, now they're finally getting back to work. Their presidential, uh, you know, restrictions are limited, are lifted. But the problem is there could be a resurgence because, you know, all that effort to pay to shut down this transmission, now all these kind of windows have been reopened. Um, and Korea is obviously doing great testing. Korea is, is, a, is you know, in terms of per capita testing, um, you know, leaps and bounds of, uh, ahead of everyone else. Japan is doing really poor amount of testing per capita. Japan's almost testing as poorly as the United States in terms of per capita. Yeah, carry on. Um, so altogether, I think, uh, you know, Asia is not out of the woods, but the U.S. and Europe is certainly facing the most exponential rise, and that's the scariest part. Can you, can you contain it? And can those governments be, you know, self less enough to actually impose short-term pain for long-term gain. This is, I think this is an important point about Asia not being out of the woods because the, um, the whole idea of the drastic measures was to smooth, make sure there wasn't a sudden spike to overwhelm the uh, hospital facilities. But as you said, with lots of, you know, million, literally millions of people going back to work and mixing with each other again, it's not going to take too many hidden carriers in there to to push the numbers up again. Yeah. You just need a couple small super-spreading events, and boom, you can uh, reactivate. Just like in Shandong, there's one prison guard who spread it to 200 prisoners. And, you know, these small super-spreading events, it can easily escape detection in the early days and cause another outbreak uh, somewhere else in China or Asia. Does that mean that big-scale events are off the agenda for quite a long time? Yeah, and that's the other big question in Japan. Um, Olympics, to be or not to be. And, and I, would be, I would have a much more comfortable you know, answer 
if Japan actually did high volume testing like Korea did. Um, but you know, you know, Korea does 3,600 tests per million population. U.S. does 23 per million, which is like 160 fold. But Japan is only uh, only a little bit higher than the U.S., so it's still over 100 fold less than Korea. Mm. Uh, okay, a lot of emails on. Um uh, mask issue. Uh, many, many emails. Uh, okay, this is from Alan. I have to edit some of these. Uh, Alan says, most masks are useless to prevent you breathing an infection. However, wearing one of any kind inhibits you touching your face with your hands, and that is more uh, important. Um, and uh, John says, thanks for clarifying, Dr. Ding. Uh, masks protect you from all the coughers and sneezers. I see many people walking around coughing. I have experienced a few taxi drivers recently, luckily wearing masks, who cough quite aggressively. And at those times, I'm extremely grateful for both mine and theirs because uh, who knows if one of us didn't have one on. That comes uh, from uh, John. And uh, let's see. Mr. Pink says Mike Rouse is entitled to his obdurate attitude towards wearing masks, but he should consider how selfish he is. For a moment, let's put aside his blind spot about asymptomatic individuals being able to spread the virus. By not wearing a mask, he's at greater risk of picking up the virus because, as caller Mike pointed out, Mike Rouse is more likely to touch his unprotected face with his hands, which have been holding germ-filled rails in public transportation. Uh, and um, Drake says thanks to the vigilance of the general Hong Kong public the flu season ended prematurely this year let alone coronavirus that gave Mike the boldness to not wear a mask wherever he went but it's not unthinkable how Mike might get it imagine a friend flying back to Hong Kong from Italy or France grab a drink with Mike's friend they laugh so much and Mike's friend was past the virus uh, then Mike's friend appeared healthy for the next 14 days and went to a conference and sat next to his old friend Mike. They chatted a lot over the conference and Mike was past the virus. I guess that's what happened in Europe, the virus being passed on subtly uh, and unnoticed. Toby, though, says, Morning, Hugh, and especially Mike. Good for Mike, as I too will not wear a mask. There is plenty of sound medical advice from reliable sources that states the wearing of masks is not 100% protection. I too am thick-skinned. That comes uh, from... Uh, Toby uh, uh, Paul says uh, you can spread the disease without having symptoms the virus will spread but we need to flatten the curve so that healthcare systems are not overwhelmed S says Mike Rouse was at one time questioning the action taken by the Philippines government when it closed its borders outright to all citizens from China I would like to remind him that was the best action uh, it took um, and Gloria Kay also says if a person, how if a person has symptoms, he isn't wearing a mask, he's spreading the virus without knowing. So the best way to protect yourself and protect other people is to wear a mask in public transport, in school and in office. That comes from, from Gloria Kay. Can, Dr. Borwine, can we hear your take in the Hong Kong situation? Do you recommend that everyone should wear a mask or sometimes yes, or I, what's your take? Okay, well, not, not all the time, but yes, I do. And I, I think that to a large extent, what's happened here is that the local population wears masks and it's the expatriate population that doesn't. Sometimes it's because they're listening to their home public health authorities, which are telling them not to, perhaps because there's supply limitations. And when there's a limited supply, you really do need to maintain the mask supply for the first-line responders and healthcare workers. But Hong Kong Department of Health has advised mask wearing. Not always, but some of the time. And I think their advice is more pertinent to our local situation. It's true, and I think my thinking on this has evolved as we've learned that you can be probably shedding virus without symptoms or, or before you develop symptoms. 
And in that case, it makes sense to wear a mask whenever you're in close contact with other people in case you are unknowingly shedding virus. So you wear a mask more to protect others than yourself. It's a sign of respect. It's about other, protecting other people from you. Now, you don't need to wear it when you're out for a run on the trails or just walking down a not crowded street. But when you're with other people in the Hong Kong setting, which is a crowded environment, it's part of our protection package. It's not the only thing, and you can't ignore hand hygiene and all the other things. But, you know, let's get real. This is a respiratory virus. It's spread by respiratory droplets. And you want to prevent yourself from giving your respiratory droplets that you might be breathing or coughing out to other people. Of course, you must remember the hand hygiene components and not touching your face and cleaning surfaces and all of those things are very important. But masks are part of it. Okay, Nuri, so, so, hang on, some more, some more, some more comments. Um, Elaine, do you want to try calling again? Um, let's look out for... Elaine is going to call us in a moment, all right? 233-88266 uh, is the number. Elaine, I know you tried to call. We'll see if we can, we can get you on the line now. Uh, let's see. Uh, Wendy says, for those that recover, what is the typical time frame? It seems longer than the regular flu. Dr. Ding, what, you know, yeah. any advice there? The time frame is, um, on average, it's about uh, two weeks for mild and three to six weeks for severe. And Mild is, uh, is about 80% of all cases, and severe is about 20%. And so 20% of the time, three to six weeks, those are the people who are really in trouble and are hospitalized. The mild and moderate, which includes moderate, and that's pretty bad fever still, um, is about two weeks. But at the same time, you know, there's a huge variability. You know, um, basically, once you are infected, and then develop symptoms approximately one week later, sometimes up to two weeks later, um, you will immediately start having cough and, uh, cough and fever. And a week later from th- that initial symptom, shortness of breath usually kicks in. And from there, it all depends how bad your case is. Then, you know, you know two, one a week and a half, two weeks later, that's when the, uh, severe enough to potentially you get hospitalized. And this is why this virus, it's not a mild virus. It is not just like the flu. And in certain ways, the duration of the, the disease is actually what's going to clog hospitals and actually hurt in the healthcare system. Because if they clog all the hospital beds and ICUs and someone has a car accident or a heart attack and they go to the hospital and the hospital beds are full and the ER is full, those heart attack victims might also die. And so this is why we have to flatten the curve. And this is also why this virus, we have to take it so seriously. Okay. Uh, S says, uh, on the issue of the self-collected samples, uh, I'm not convinced by their safety. The Department of Health said it was safe and medics in private clinics will not be affected. How can the Department of Health be so sure the instructions will be followed properly and the packaging will not be contaminated? Dr. Borwine, any comment on that? never be sure of anything but the the packaging i'm not sure what their concern is because the actual the the sample is bottle is sent to you as a patient and you create the sample with instructions it's not that hard and then you take it yourself back to a department of health drop-off box there's instructions for double bagging it etc and then they have a special courier that picks them up Okay. And number 233-88266. We've got Elaine on the line now, I think. Elaine, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. 
Um, I have a question, uh, which uh, indirectly uh, involves Hong Kong. So I have, I know someone very well who was at this art fair in the Netherlands called TAFAF, uh, the European Fine Art Fair. And it's typically two weeks long. And it was closed down one week early because an exhibitor there tested positive, um, an Italian art dealer um, selling uh, Italian modern art. Anyway, the fair uh, shut the fair down early, and they said there was no risk posed to anybody at the fair um, because that person did not show any symptoms. So the person I know who exhibits there flew back to Hong Kong, and I suggested that he self-isolate or self-quarantine, and he said that he felt it was very overblown. Um, so, so question, Elaine, when did he get back? When? How long ago was this? On Friday. Okay. And the fair closed down on Thursday. So the question is, first, was the fair, which said they consulted the health authority in the Netherlands, was the fair irresponsible to say that the exhibitor posed no risk because he did not show any symptoms when he was at the opening of the fair, which, by the way, um, there were 5,000 people who are in this closed environment and 5,000 people passing through the doors every day. And you don't know who was shaking hands with who, who was talking to whom. Anyway, this person, because the fair said there was no risk, this person felt that they also posed no risk by coming back to Hong Kong not self-isolating. That person is working with his colleagues, going out, buying groceries, I don't know what. But I, I just want to know, is the possibility of him uh, being exposed to that person high and possibly carrying the virus and possibly exposing more people, like his colleagues yeah, yeah. here in Hong Kong? Dr. Ding, any thoughts on that situation? Oh, it's, these kind of exposures are really tricky um i think we don't have good data on like the duration of contact um in terms of uh you know it, it's whether it's one time whether it's five minutes ten minutes i think obviously you know the the, the, the proximity also depends on how crowded a room is and how frequently we just we know that for example 70 percent of transmission in china previously were within a family basically long duration exposures with their family so but in terms of everyday exposures it's really hard to say do we know how when the person who was exhibiting at the art fair became symptomatic because you said they were asymptomatic while there but then so symptomatic he, afterwards he he left um i think five days after the opening of the fair and then he was tested back in italy so we don't, don't know when they started showing symptoms. For your friend, yeah. if they had come back three days later, they would be in mandatory self-quarantine because as of today, all people coming back from Western Europe are subject to mandatory self-quarantine. Right, but home. he came back on Friday, which right, was so actually the day after Donald Trump said that all Europeans, you know, yeah. all flights from Europe were banned, whatever. Yeah. And and also, so in regard it's to very confusing, all the different messaging. I guess that's yeah. why I'm calling. Yeah. In regarding asymptomatic, you know, it, it, it's how infectious you are during asymptomatic is still subject to debate. But we know that the closer you are to the when you actually develop the symptoms, the more, the, the higher the viral load, it starts ramping up. And once the viral load hits high enough, then you'll really get the symptoms. 
So I think it's like three to five days. It's still relative, you know, uh, lower than if you're like five to seven days around the cusp. Um, it's it's really hard to say, but asymptomatic we know is still potentially an infection, even if someone. Yeah, the best advice for your the fr- the friend would be to self isolate and monitor their symptoms. Of course, uh, if they're not going to do that, then maybe <laughs> then it shows that they're not all that uh, um, respectful of other people's health and perhaps the are they are they away from them? Yeah, Elaine, are they self-employed or can you <laughs> lean on their employer to uh, encourage them to stay home? Well, he's basically the boss, hmm, so okay. But, you know, I mean, I know because the, our community is so small, so we kind of know everybody, right? Okay. And we can, we've can we seen the colleagues out for lunch. And, of course, we're now a little bit nervous to even say hi to them at lunch. Yeah, understandably. Okay, well, Elaine, th- many thanks for your for your comment, for your uh, observation, and many thanks to, uh, to our guest, uh, Dr. Eric Ding uh, from the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and Dr. Sarah Borwin, a local uh, physician, uh, Canadian, who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Thank you very much indeed. Sorry, we weren't able to get to um, many of the uh, emails today, um, but I'm going to give the last word to Mike Hoffman, uh, uh, sorry, this, uh, who says the herd protection idea of the British government is absolutely absurd and I now do understand why Mr Rouse thinks the way he does herd thinking, he comes by it honestly, thank you very much indeed for that, uh, thank you to everyone who uh, uh, emailed us, contacted today, we'll be back at 8.30 tomorrow the weather, many cloudy, dry with sunny periods during the day, temperatures up to 23 degrees, the outlook a few showers in the next couple of days, 19 degrees now and the humidity is at 76% To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. 34, the news now with Samantha Butler. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has lowered its base rate 2.86% after the U.S. Federal Reserve took action to support the economy amid the escalating coronavirus pandemic. The Fed cut rates by a whole percentage point to virtually zero, its second emergency cut in a fortnight, and announced plans to buy billions of dollars of Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. The measure hasn't reassured markets. The Hang Seng Index is down almost around 600 points to 23,429. The first human trial of any vaccine to protect against COVID-19 will begin in Seattle later tonight. Testing will start with 45 young healthy volunteers. They'll receive doses without being infected as the vaccine doesn't contain any part of the actual coronavirus. And American military officials say they have credible evidence that airstrikes carried out by